Amen, amen, and welcome to Harvest, and we are here to exalt the name that is above every other name, Jesus Christ, amen? And we are, that's, it's all about Jesus, and that's who we are, and that's what we do because of who Jesus is. And so, so thankful to be with you in this new year. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6. If you want to get a head start, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we'd love for you to get one from the back and have that be our gift to you. Um, we love the Bible here. We love God's Word. We want to read it, to meditate on it, apply it um, as we begin this new year. Man, the story of harvest, and we've been here gosh, seven and a half years now, has been, always will be the story of God at work. Jesus is building his church, amen? And we're super thankful for that. And I, man, God answers prayers. And it's so amazing to see how he continues to build his church. That just continues to strike me. And I want to I wanna take some moment before we dive into the word here to celebrate some ways that God has, is continuing to build his church. The first is this. We prayed last week that God would provide a healthy baby girl for the Gangora fame. And you'll see on behind me, you'll see this picture that Maggie Gangoro is born. Uh, six pounds early, early Tuesday morning. Mom and Maggie are doing great. Continue to keep them in your prayers. Uh, Allie has some more intensive chemo treatments tomorrow, uh, beginning tomorrow. So continue to pray for them. But man, God answers prayers. Amen. And so we're super thankful for that. Praise God. Um, another exciting answer to prayer, how Jesus is continuing to build his church we prayed that God would provide $5,000 through end of year giving above and beyond normal tithes and offerings to help us continue to live on mission to plant a church, help partner with planting a church in the Dominican Republic, and also continue to invest in our community here. And I just want to report to you, praise God, that God provided $6,380. Amen. That's awesome. So thank you for your generosity and giving and the above and beyond with of that will go to help support some of our budget shortfall. We are still behind in our general fund. And so I just want to continue to encourage you to really give and give generously. If this is your church home, to really invest in the work of the Lord, man, God is going to do a great work here because he already has, right? And he promises he's going to build his church. I really believe that this year is going to be God's greatest work at this church. And I, I just pray that you would just continue to join with me in every way in that. Not because of external circumstances. It might and probably will be a very, very difficult year, but because of an internal circumstance of each of us choosing individually and each of us together as a church choosing collectively to pursue God in a renewed way with greater vigor and passion than we ever have before, that we can draw closer to God and become more like God regardless of the external circumstances in our life. Amen? And that is where the greatness is found and the goodness of God is experienced. And that leads us to this exciting opportunity for what we're going to be doing right now over the next six weeks. We're starting a new sermon series called From Start to Scent. From Start to Scent. And it's all about starting our relationship with the Lord, wherever you are, and then living our lives as ones who are sent for the glory of the Lord and growing in God each and every day, all the time. So you are a sent people. We are a sent people. Like part of that, that financial offering that has been given, we've already even sent it already to the Dominican Republic to begin to help them build their church. But maybe you come in here and you're like, I'm not sure where I am with a relationship with the Lord. You'll see on the, yeah, you go back to that previous picture. Sorry, Jacob. You'll see that the, state, the start to send the graph. One of the things, things our staff and our elders have been praying about significantly and working on the last six, eight, 12 months is developing and sharpening our disciple-making pathway and our leader development process. And that's embodied in that, that chart there, sort of a funnel of funneling into what does it look like to be acclimated into the life and grafted into the life of harvest and 
and what does it look like in that's culminating with sort of a membership, a commitment to join together as the life of the family here, and then to be sent out on the other end of that funnel. And so we're continuing to look, and we're going to unpack that over the next six weeks. What does that really look like? What does it look like when you first show up? And to, to then becoming a part of the member of the body here and then growing out and going out and living on mission because this is our heart, this is our mission, this is our vision, and this is our passion. And so the sermon series, and you'll see the graphic that, that, that Veronica has put together, and she did a phenomenal job with this. It sort of like, looks like a little bit like a game board or a pathway or a journey because the reality is our lives are a journey, right? Anybody arrived in their walk with the Lord yet? Anybody perfect yet? No? Great. Well, and, and along with that, what you just admitted is, one, we're all sort of in the same place in, in a way, right? We all have growing to do, right? So praise God that none of us have arrived, and you're here together so that we can grow together, so that we can pursue living for the Lord. But on this journey, you'll see the different icons that are going to represent the steps on this path that really work back to the funnel, but that has a lot of detail and, and whatnot, sort of. But really, this pathway is really helpful because you'll see the first waving of the hand. That's like the welcome team. And if you're on the welcome team, thank you. And if you want to join the welcome team, we would love to have you. So everybody, if you don't mind, raise one of your, your hands, whatever your preferred hand is, and just wave and smile at the person next to you. You're all going to qualify for the welcome team. Congratulations, right? <laughs> thank you for signing up. We would love to see you after church. Seriously, like we can all do this. We can greet each other in that way. So when you welcome, when you show up in the parking lot, and for some of you, I know this is your first Sunday here, and we're so glad that you are here. Your family here, whether this is your first Sunday, you're here or you've been here a while. And then moving on the pathway, and I love this path because it has ups and downs and all around, sort of like life, right? And so you'll see the cross. Well, start. This is where we're going to be today. What does it look like to start your relationship with the Lord? From start, what does it look like to start a relationship with the Lord to sent? May today be a starting point for all of us, whether we choose to come into a relationship with the Lord or choose to then take a next step, because we all have a next step to take. We all just said, hey, none of us have arrived. So by definition, we all have a next step to take. You'll see then going up there, the little groups there. What does it look like to walk in biblical community? What does it look like to walk in Christ, joining a small group. We're going to unpack that next week. And then up top, you'll see this guy with a pointy shovel-ish thing. What does it mean to work for Christ? What does it mean to, to give our lives to working to see the kingdom of God advanced? And then you'll sort of come on down there and you'll see the vertical logo. What does it look like to become a member of the church of Christ, specifically here at Harvest? And then going on up, you'll see the books there. What does it look like to become equipped to live on mission, to multiply missionally with a specific goal to launch our next pastor, to develop our next missionaries, our next small group leaders, our next uh, ministry team leaders? And if you're like, I don't know if that's me, man, or maybe you're like, over the course of these next several weeks, God begins to stir in you. God's calling and God's timing don't always line up, right? Meaning God might stir in you something, but man, he might be open the door for that five years from now, but you need to begin to take the next step of opening your heart and go, God, you have all of me, because that's discipleship. The whole, this whole pathway, and then you'll see the sort of the, the globe with the airplane. We want to live sent. We want to live on mission, going from our neighborhoods to the nations. What does it look like to intentionally live sent on a daily basis? This is our calling from the Lord. This is not a sermon series. This is a discipleship culture more than that, right? This is how God, when you read the book of Acts, wants us to live. And this is our calling here at Harvest that we're going to really dive into. And God is calling us and as, we, as our pastoral staff, as our staff team, as our elders, we're challenging each and every one of you to join. Come with us, right? Come on, let's grow in the Lord and let's go for the Lord. Anybody excited about that this year? Yeah. So if you're up for that, just say, let's go. Oh, well, since you insist, we're going to go, right? And so super thankful for that. 
And as you journey along the way, God will transform you. He will change you. He will grow you and he will work in you and through you to do things far greater than you could ever think of yourself. Don't believe me? Well, read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. God wants to do in you and through you far, things far greater than you could ever think. You asked me 10 years ago that I would be standing up here on most weeks, I would have said, you have lost your mind. But God had a different plan. And God has a different story for you. So the challenge for today, the challenge for us throughout this series, the challenge for our lifetimes is to open your hands, to open your heart, to open your mind, to open your lives to whatever God would have for you and then have yes on your heart, amen? To know that it's his power that calls you, his power that sends you, his power that goes with you, and his power that prepares the way for you. It's a desire to pursue the Lord and to become more and more like the Lord. It will challenge you and it will stretch you because God wants to grow you. And we anchor in his promises. No matter how you're here, I'm glad you're here and you are loved and by us and by God wherever you are right here, amen? Whether you don't know the Lord, whether you've been rebelling against the Lord, whether you're anti the Lord, whether you're fired up about the Lord, whether you're angry with the Lord, you are welcome here. God will meet you here and God in his love will not allow you to stay where you are right now because he wants us to be progressively growing. It's a grind. It's an enduring freedom choice to grow in the Lord. The question of this is, is that hope and freedom are offered to you today through a personal relationship with the Lord. Well, will you choose it? Because it all begins at the starting point. It all begins at the start with your relationship with the Lord. And that's what we're going to look at today from Romans chapter 6. Here's a big idea for today from the text. Hopefully it's true in your life today and in our lives. That living freely comes through choosing to die daily. Life comes through death. Jesus' death and our death. If we're honest, brutally honest with ourselves, we all need freedom in at least some area of our life today. And Jesus is here to offer it to you. The question is, will you choose it? Will you receive it and how you respond to it? So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we ask him to do far th things far greater in us and through us than we could ever hope or imagine through the power that is at work within us. Father, we just thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that really wants to stir in our hearts today. Father, I pray that your word would do what you promise it would do, that it would convict and compel, that it would encourage and exhort, that it would just call us into a greater relationship with you and that we would open our hearts to be all that you want us to be, to grow, to be willing to grow, to die to other things and to say yes to you so that we can experience what true life really is. Father, I just pray that you would silence me, that you would remove distractions and that your Holy Spirit would flow. Holy Spirit, God, we need you. Holy Spirit, refresh us, renew us, challenge us, regenerate us. And Father, I just pray that you would just do the work that you promise you will do in this place, right here, right now, for the glory of your name and through the power of your spirit and through the sacrifice of your son, in whose name we pray, amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 6. So Paul was writing, and, and Rome, the whole book of Romans is one of the most beautiful doctrinal treatises in, in all of Scripture. And, and we're going to go through this. Man, we could do a whole 52-week sermon series on the 11 verses we're going to look at today. And so I'd encourage you to dive in deeper on your own. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11 is where we're going to be today. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Roman church. 
as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. And he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him into bapti- by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in, de- in a death like his, we shall ser- certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, praise God. But the life he lives, he lives to, to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Again, living freely, it's possible for you and I, but it comes through dying daily, as Paul states over and over and over in this text. One thing Paul makes very clear in this text and throughout the whole entire book of Romans and other epistles is that when you put your faith in in Jesus Christ, everything changes, amen? The old becomes new, death becomes life. God looks into those dead places in your life and he breathes life through the grace of God and through the power of the gospel of God. Praise Jesus. Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. He says in this text that there is freedom available for us. Now, freedom is something that we often talk about just as citizens of this country, right? We're so, I'm so thankful to live in the U.S., praise God. I'm so thankful for so many of you that, that have and do and or will give your lives to support of this country, to purchase and or provide and maintain the freedom that we have as citizens of the United States. Thank you. Thank you for your service, genuinely from the bottom of my heart. But what Paul is writing here is that even great, there's an even greater freedom available for us. Greater than the freedom to vote, greater than the freedom of, of, of representation, um, even with taxation, right? Um, is the freedom that Jesus makes available for us that we can be brought from life, from death to life for all of eternity. A new beginning with a new master, a new priorities, a new hope, and a new life. I'm not sure what parts of your heart or your life you need freedom in today. I just know that you need it, amen? Maybe it's a freedom from the bondage of legalism, from isolation, from addiction, from the strongholds of sin, from broken relationships, from the consequences of sin, from just being exhausted on the hamster wheel of living the reality of this earthly life, of just striving and striving and never seeming to get anywhere. I can't purchase my hope. I can't work harder for my peace, but we continue to try, don't we? Man, can we get freedom of that today? I'm not sure what freedom you need. I just know where you can get it from Jesus Christ. And that's going to be in the beautiful text that we are experiencing today. And I pray that each and every one of us would take a next step. That's all the next six weeks is about, your next step. Maybe it's a big step. Maybe it's a huge step. Maybe it's a baby step. We all have a step to take of experiencing the freedom that God desires for you to live. 
It's available for you. How do I know? Well, the text explicitly says that, right? Verses 7 and 8. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, I, n- now if, there's a choice, if we have died with Jesus, we believe that we will also live with him. So have you died with Jesus? Have you put your faith in Jesus? We're going to unpack that today. But there's a choice. Freedom is available for you today. Don't believe the lie that it's not. Start choosing freedom as you choose faith. What, here are two keys from the text today that we're going to look at to living free. This is a foundation of our faith, and maybe you need a new foundation today. You're like, the old foundation just got blown away, and I need to rebuild my life, rebuild my house. Maybe I need to put my, relation, my trust in the Lord for the first time today. I'm so glad you're here or watching online. Or maybe you have the foundation, it's been laid, but there's some cracks in your foundation, right? And instead of focusing on the master bath, the second story, amazing, uh, just rec room or whatnot, you need to get back to the basics of fixing that foundation. Because if you don't fix that foundation of faith in your life, your whole house will come tumbling and crashing down around you. Or maybe you are here today and your house has come crashing down and tumbling down around you. I just want you to know that there there is hope here. Because Jesus rebuilds what is broken. He restores what has been torn down. That's the gospel. So two keys to living in freedom from this text. The first is this, identifying with Christ completely. Verses one through nine. Identifying with Christ completely. Paul looks at this in verse one. He goes, what shall we say then? And and context is so important when you study God's word. Our heart here is to teach you to study God's word so that you can do it on your own. You can pull out the truths of God's word and apply it to your life. That's why we do small groups and why we do men's studies and women's studies. I want to encourage you ladies to really join in and sign up for this women's study that we're starting again in two weeks. So excited for that. So context goes when this question is, Paul says, what shall we say then? Look up previously to what Paul had just written and look with me at verses 20 and 21 of chapter five, which then cascades down into chapter six. He says, now Paul writes in chapter five, verses 20 and 21. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Praise God. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Paul answers a question that was probably being asked by some of the Jewish leaders. He said, what shall we say then? He's being a little sarcastic here. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He's like, great, grace is greater. So should I, can I just, does this give me the license to continue to sin and be like, I'm going to continue to live in my sinful life because I know God's grace is going to cover me. I, I can continue to sin. That answer is, what does Paul say? Verse two, by no means. Like he bangs his fist on the table. He declares, no. If you are in Christ, you should have a new way of life, a new master you want to please, a new desire. Because if you're like, I'm a Christian, but I'm gonna keep on sinning because God's grace covers it. I can just get the get out of jail, get out of the hell free card. It doesn't work like that. Because if Jesus hasn't changed you, he hasn't saved you. That quote is not original to me. The whole point of transformation is there is a new life. There is a new desire. There is a new appetite. I don't want to keep sinning. I'm done with that. Because I want to choose the life that God offers me. Because I delight now in God as opposed to the world. 
Paul is speaking to our hearts right here. You're not identifying with Christ completely if you continue to live in sin persistently. Is that you? Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. None of us are perfect. We already established that. But it means that our pursuit has changed. That we are pursuing Christ. Some people misuse the gospel, misunderstand it. Are you doing that today? Because then Paul answers, do you not know? How can we who died to sin continue to live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been, verse 3, baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Is that you this morning? Paul uses over and over in this text the metaphor of baptism to speak to the transformation that happens with the gospel. As we talk about a starting point on this series, a starting point with our lives, this is where it all starts. Transformation. Has your life been noticeably changed by the power of God? Paul is now about to dive into, over these next few verses, a theological treatise on some deep theological truths. Here at Harvest, we want you to pursue theological truths. We want you to then apply them practically and, and daily. But we want to grow in the Lord. We want to grow in our understanding. Amen? Not just for sportive discussion all the time, but for everyday living. So if, if you allow, if you're up for it, give me a thumbs up if you want to like, let's dig in right here, right? Let's dig in. Let's go. Okay? So here's some theological treatises, some truths that are really important for us to grasp. The first is this. It's, it's more, this is more a, a metaphor, if you would, but baptism. When Paul talks about baptism here... The literal meaning of the word baptism, baptizo, means immersion. So it means to, to literally take someone's head and dunk them underwater. That is why at harvest we practice and participate in baptism by immersion. Now, I understand that different faith traditions and different faith denominations do that differently. And by God's grace, man, we're going to celebrate Christ in all eternity in heaven with them, Okay. I'm just telling you why we have a conviction about doing it this way here. Because God's word, through example and through theology, the words used specifically refers to this. He teaches it directly. Second aspect about baptism. So there's a literal meaning, there's a literal meaning here when Paul talks about baptism. There's also a figurative meaning. The figurative meaning is this. What is baptism? It means to identify, identify fully and completely with Jesus Christ. Fully and complete in his death, verse 3, 4, and, and many other times in this text, and then in his life. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, when Paul is saying baptizing into, I need you to hear me on this, he is not saying you are being baptized into your salvation in such a way that baptism is salvific. Baptism is not salvific. Your salvation is not contingent on baptism. Look to the thief on the cross, right? When, when, and Jesus looked at him and said, Okay, today you're going to be today with me forever in paradise. Not, hey, hold on, Romans, stop the crucifixion. I need to dunk him in some water so he can be with me forever. Okay? So it's not conditional, but it is a matter of obedience. It is a matter of obedience, and it's a matter of identification. That is a, while it's not necessary for your salvation, it is a representation of your salvation. Baptism is an outward act uh, an outward demonstration of an inward act that the Holy Spirit has already done called regeneration, where he gives you a new heart, the Holy Spirit does. Praise God for that. It's literally becoming a new creation. And again, this is why at Harvest we participate, we encourage believers' baptism. 
And some people have gone through different confirmation at times in their life. And praise God for that in different denominations. Praise God. That's amazing. And again, this is not salvific. You can... But there is a powerful demonstration here when we are buried with Jesus in baptism and risen to walk in newness of life. That is why we do it. Because we see Paul teaching it. And we see the Bible demonstrating it. It's a public identification with Jesus. And if, uh, over the next several weeks, I want you to look forward to something. This is why we do what we do. We are all about loving God and loving others. And we want to represent that. So we're going to take one of our walls in the hallway over the next couple of weeks, and we're going to turn it into what I'm going to call personally, well, you might call it this way, I'm going to call it, our why wall. Why do we do what we do? The transformation wall. We're going to put up 30, 32 pictures of baptisms that have taken place here. It's not the exhaustive list, so if you don't see your own personal baptism up there, please don't, like, we, we looked long and hard, but we could only find certain pictures. <laughs> but it is a representation of a memorial of the work that God has done here, because it transcends location, inside, outside, middle school, here, pools, whatever. It transcends race and gender, ages. Like, God is at work in each and every one of our lives. Praise God. And, he's cont- and, he's, well, and so it's a memorial, but it's also motivation, Because what's our mission? To go and make disciples, and then what's the next word? Baptizing them. The story, the Great Commission is fulfilled one person at a time, one story at a time. Every person matters, every story matters, you matter. And so it's really, really important, every conversation and every motivation that we have, and so look towards, look forward to that and celebrate that. Memorialize what God is doing here. Because again, baptism is an identification with Christ. It's wholeheartedly identifying with Christ. Because wholeheartedly identifying with Christ doesn't mean half-heartedly. It doesn't mean occasionally. It doesn't mean casually. It doesn't mean culturally. It means wholeheartedly, right? Enough that I'm willing to die. Not I'm willing to wear just a t-shirt when it's cool and culturally acceptable, but when Facebook or when uh, laws are passed or when culture thinks it's not as cool, I'm going to put my Christian shirt away because I don't want to get, you know, stuff from the culture. It doesn't mean when it costs me something, I'm going to stop following Christ. When Christ calls me to quit my job or to give more financially or, he, or meet this need over here or take in somebody to my home, then I'm going to stop doing it because the cost is too great. Remember, the call here is to what? Die. Die to selfish pursuits. Die to my own selfish ambition. Come into the reality that stewardship, that everything I have is God's. The call is to identify with Christ completely and going, I no longer live, as was read earlier, but it's Christ who lives through me. There's no true life without death, this passage teaches in verse 4. We, are, we can only have life through death. First, through Jesus' death. There's no other way to eternal life but in a restored relationship with God other than through Jesus. There's also no real way to experience abundant life on this earth outside of Jesus. But there's a freedom that comes as we die. As we die to ourselves and our pursuits of figuring it out on our own and earning our salvation, there comes a complete union and unification with Christ. Look at verse 5. For if we have been united with him, Jesus, in a death like this, we shall be certainly united with him in a resurrection like this. Isn't that awesome? We get to be united with Christ in a resurrection. So what are three different aspects of a resurrected? What does it look like to be unified with Christ in this way, to completely identify myself with Christ? 
well, Pastor Tony Marita has been really helpful to me, and, and this may or may not be original to him, so, but it's definitely not original to me, so I want, but I think it's so profound that I want you to, to see this. Uh, he talks about three aspects and some theological aspects of what it looks like to be unified with Christ. The first aspect is justification, which is freedom from the penalty of sin. Justification is when God looks at you and I and he sees Christ's righteousness. He sees us as holy because of what Jesus has done for us when Jesus transfers our sin into his account and his righteousness in our account. It's through separation. It's, I mean, substitution that happens. So Jesus, the gospel in four words is Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. So what happens here, and when you look at verse 7 of chapter 6, is for one who has died has been set free from sin. The word set free in verse 7 right there is justification. It's the same exact word that Paul uses in the, in the chapter previously in Romans 5, 8, and 9, when he says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Isn't that awesome? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And here comes the word. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from him from the wrath of God? Same word, justified there in Romans 5, 9, as we have here in Romans 6, 7. So we are freed from the wrath of God. And only Jesus can pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. True freedom only comes through genuine faith. Because when you look at verse 8, now if we have been died with Christ, so it's, it's not a certainty. You have to choose. Have you made that choice today? The second aspect of a unification with Christ is this, is sanctification. So justification provides freedom from the penalty of sin. Sanctification provides freedom from the power of sin. Look at with me at verses, verses 6 and 7. Specifically, verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. We just talked about that. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be what? Enslaved to sin. You are no longer a victim, but you are a victor through Jesus Christ. Sanctification is a lifelong journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. That sin, while it might be present in you and around you, no longer has power over you. It doesn't say jump and you no longer say how high. It might say jump and you say get lost. Because you can through the power of God. So many of us, though, allow the, power, the presence of sin to feel like it still has the power of sin. More on that in a minute. The third aspect, the third of unification with Christ is this, glorification. Look at verse eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also, what's that word? Live with him. There is both a present reality to that here on earth, that we get to live an abundant life, but there's also an eternal reality that we will one day spend all of eternity with Jesus. Praise God, amen. That's called glorification. So we are then free from the presence of sin. Because we will with Jesus in heaven in all of eternity where there is no more sin, no more dying, no more death, no more sickness, no more illness, no more COVID. Praise God. Amen. So the time we live by now, if you are in Christ, we are now living in the time between our justification and our glorification. Our time of sanctification, which is a lifelong journey of becoming more and more like Christ. It's taking a perpetual next step, which is what we're doing right now. 
So today, friends, I want to ask you these questions. Are you living your life in the reality that you are free from the penalty of sin because you've given your life to Jesus and you have identified with him through faith? Are you living your life free from the power of sin that you are telling, even though when sin tries to tempt you and, and to push you into different things, you were saying, no, my God has already paid for the price of my sin. You have no more power over me. And can you with confidence, are you living confidently in the reality that there will come a day through your faith that you will be free from the presence of sin as you get to dwell with God for all of eternity? Genuine identification with Jesus leads to true, transforma true transformation through Jesus. The greatest gospel testimony is a transformed life. So what are some identity identifiers and indicators in my life of if I've really truly identified with Christ? The first is this, I have been crucified with Christ. Right, we see that all throughout this text. Choosing to die to my sin daily, if I have been crucified with Christ, if I have died with Christ. The question is, have you? Do you have a new appetite? Are you desiring sin or are you desiring your savior? None of us are perfect. There are moments where, yes, our flesh rages and we want the sin, but we have now the power that God has given us to pursue Christ. You have a new relationship with sin. It's no longer your master. It, 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 you don't have to listen to what it says. You are free from its power. A key indicator to if I've been crucified with Christ is do you continue to desire to continue in your sin? It's a desire there. Oh, I, I want to continue to drink. I mean, you might not want to, but you might still struggle with it, but the desire is to break that habit. Man, it's a, some of these, through the supernatural power of God, not that drinking is inherently a sin, but if it's an addiction and if you're putting your hope in it, it's an idol, just like anything can be an idol. I want to break the power of sexual addiction. I want to break the power of my own anger, which causes me to, to rage. I want to break the power. Like, has the desire in your heart changed? Have you been crucified with Christ? Where do you need to repent from today? Second indicator is this. Am I, embrace, I am embracing the newness of life. Verse four, right? When you are identified with Jesus in death, you get to identify him and you get to walk in newness of life. There's a new life, there's a new master, there's a new motive, there's a new purpose, there's a new power. Romans eight teaches us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, where does he live? Inside of you, isn't that awesome? That's the Holy Spirit. There's a new perspective that I see people not as the world sees them, but I see them as God sees them, that I am in need of my own forgiveness daily so that it gives me the strength to forgive others daily. I see others with more grace as I remember how God sees me with his grace. Are you embracing this newness of life? Not just in some areas of your life, but in every area of your life. Every area. Whole, because to die means to die. Completely. So what parts of your life do you need to continue to surrender to Christ today? Experiencing freedom is possible from the, as you put your hope for peace in Jesus and not in this world. As you rest in, Jesus, in what Jesus has done in his righteousness. Because here's a beautiful reality of God's grace. That on your best day, God's grace is sufficient. And on your worst day, God's grace is sufficient. You can't earn it. You can't earn more righteousness. 
of Jesus. Now we continue to strive to grow to be more like Jesus, but you, it's only through God. Living freely comes choosing to die daily. Where do you need to today identify with Christ completely? The second key to living freely is this, living the resurrected life daily. Dying is a pathway to living. So today, do you need to die to your desire for control? Die to your self-pursuits? Die to your ambitions that are not of the Lord? This text is literally, in verse four, is literally where we get what we say every time we do a baptism, right? See, if everyone, where'd you, why do you say that? Because Romans 6, 4 says it, you know? Based on your confession of faith in Christ and your commitment to follow Jesus the rest of your days, we baptize you, our Christian brother or sister, in the name of Jesus Christ, buried with Jesus in baptism, right? And risen to walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 4. What is living the, resu- the newness of life? What does living the resurrected life mean? Because the newness of life is a resurrected life. Verse five teaches us that we are identifying and unifying with God in a resurrection like him. Verse four teaches us we have newness of life. So the resurrected life is possible for us today. It's possible for you. This text shows us the unstoppable and the incredible power of God. Our God takes old things and makes them new, Right? Verse six, we know that our old self was crucified. I don't have to live the way I used to live. Now, some of these things, the Holy Spirit might change immediately, right? Some of these things, it might be a lifelong struggle of transformation, but the power is always there and you don't have to do it alone. You don't do it in isolation. That's why biblical community is so important. God has done it in your heart and he will do it again. God takes dead things and makes them alive. He takes destroyed relationships and restores them. He looks at us in our mess and he lavishes his mercy. He takes our guilt and he, he, uh, he covers us in his grace. The results of our identification with Jesus in his crucifixion is the freedom to experience the power of Jesus in his resurrection, not just for eternity, but every day. Look at verse six, right? These statements here are so important. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that, there's a purpose here. So if you want to underline that clause, right, it's important that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. And then there's a so that clause, right? So here it's so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The power of God wants you to live freely. He wants to have you a resurrected life daily. So what does that look like? Because you'll see this picture behind me of the guy at a crossroads. And so many of us, right, on our everyday life, and maybe you need to choose today from an eternal perspective to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And that once you put that your faith in Jesus Christ, once God brings you to himself, once the Holy Spirit regenerates you, you are signed, sealed forever in, in the Lamb's Book of Life. And no one and nothing can take that away from you. Praise God, amen. You will spend forever in eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven when you authentically surrender. Praise God. Romans 8 says, nothing and no one can separate you from the love of God, not even yourself, right? <laughs> but for us as believers, so maybe you need to make that choice today, but for us as believers, we have a daily decision of, man, I'm at this crossroads. Am I going to choose the resurrected life or the fallen earthly life? Am I going to choose to respond to that email with, my, with words that don't honor God? Or am I going to choose to respond in grace? Am I going to choose to put my sufficiency and my satisfaction in something of this world, of of getting the next promotion, of of getting a significant other? Or am I going to trust that Jesus Christ is sufficient? When I'm exhausted and worn out from the ways of the world or a long day at work or a hard job, am I going to turn to the bottle 
or an image on a screen to take the edge off? Or am I going to go into God's word and say, Jesus, you're enough for me. God, restore me, renew me, refresh me by still waters, restore my soul. Like we have these choices on an everyday life. The resurrected life looks to Jesus for sufficiency. The fallen wife looks to the world, which will only lead to death. So as believers, our appetite needs to change. And we face these crossroads hundreds of times every day, right? Your thought life, your action life. How am I going to spend my money? How am I going to use my time? So here are three different realities of a resurrected life. Are they realities of your life? The first is this, serving sin, an eviction notice. The power of sin has been broken in your life. Will you kick it out right now? Or are you just allowing it to hang out? Oh, I'm just going to put you in the back corner of my brain. I'm not really going to do what it takes to get rid of you. It's like if you had a rodent problem in your home, would you just let them hang out? Or would you do something about it? If you have a weed problem, would you just let it grow? Or would you, at some point, you actually need to do the weeding because just trimming the little tops of it won't do it, right? You got to get down to the root or it will remain. But you have the power to serve sin, the eviction notice, because Jesus says, this, or Paul writes here in Romans, in the verse six, that you are no longer enslaved to sin. You've been set free from it. So kick it out. Stop feeding sin in your life by the images that you take in with your eyes. Or maybe you need to get away from a certain group of friends because you just find your mouth going off in a certain way. You can't control yourself or whatever it is, the Bible teaches us that we need to recognize sin in our life, own the reality of sin in our life, repent of sin in our life, and do what it takes to get rid of that sin, right? What did Jesus say? If your arm's causing you to sin, what should you do to it? Cut it off. If your eye's causing you to sin? Get rid of it. So maybe some of us need to delete social media. Seriously. Delete a contact in your phone. Cut up the credit card. Like, what do you need to do? If you are truly saying, I'm going to die with Christ, but I'm unwilling to do this or that, you're not really dying with Christ because Christ's death means dead. He gave everything up for you and I, right? So let's kill a sin. John Owen, a, a British theologian, says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. You, your relationship, the consequences of the sin, the collateral damages of sin. One of the aspects of growing in Christ is this, is understanding the reality. None of us will be perfect this side of eternity, but we, the time that from our sin to the time that we genuinely repent grows shorter and shorter and shorter, right? Because our desire for God grows greater and greater and greater. God, and the brokenness that comes when I sin and when I offend God vertically and when I hurt others horizontally just continues to increase. Where do you need to kick sin out? Get accountability for it. This is why small group is so important. Freedom is choosing faith of God in the face of fear. The second aspect is this. Second reality of the resurrected life. Stop looking horizontally for what you can only find vertically. Look with me at verse 11. Paul writes, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. The word consider there isn't just like, well, have it, give, it a, give it a 30 second think over and then let me know what you think. No, no. The word consider there is actually the word that we get impute from. 
It's a confidence in the reality of the truth of God. It's to acknowledge his fact and then to act based upon that fact. It's not to think about passively, but it's to live about confidently. It is saying that the only life that you are, the life that you are desiring to live can only be found in and through Jesus Christ. It says it right there. You are alive to God, so we're living for God, and how do we get there? In Christ Jesus. Not in doing more good works, not in giving more money. Now, all of those things should be an overflow of what God has done for us. But the only pathway there is that the only Jesus can satisfy vertically. But where in your life are you looking horizontally for satisfaction, for sufficiency, for your identity that only Jesus can truly give you? The resurrected life looks to the creator, not creation, for satisfaction, for identity, for power. Where are you looking? For affirmation. This word is an accounting term. And over this text, Paul actually uses the word no three times in verses three, six, and nine, where he's like, know this, know this, know this. Know this, that you must die to yourself and be crucified with Christ in order to find the life that you truly want. You need to trust these truths. What do you know today? Who do you know? And third and finally, taking my next step, the reality of the resurrected life is taking my next step. And in verse four, it talks about that you are risen to walk in newness of life. Well, what is walking? We're gonna look a lot more about this next week, but just walking is literally step by step, right? One step, maybe it's a big step, maybe it's a baby step, but it's step by step by step. It's a desiring to grow to be more like God because what's happening in this starting point, start is turning from my sin, the desire. I don't just want to turn from my sin, but even more than that, I'm motivated because I want to turn to God. Every step I take is either closer to God or away from God. Every decision, every word that I say is a step in this life that we are living. Is the step that you're about to take drawing you closer to God or is it walking away from God? Is it anchored in a promise of God or is it trying to appease the world because of a lot of different motivations? Where do you need to take your next step? You've been risen to be alive to God. Verse 11. So you're risen to walk in newness of life, but your purpose should be for God alive to God. Now you are strengthened to live that way through Jesus Christ, but your purpose needs to be alive to God, not alive to Derek, not alive to the world, not alive to your job, but alive to who? God. That's the resurrected life. That's a life I no longer live. I don't live for me, but I live for him who has purchased me, who has saved me, who loves me, and now who sends me. So what's your next step? Maybe this today, it's to choose to die, to die to yourself, to die to the need for control and to trust Jesus Christ truly as your savior. Maybe your next step today is to, true to, is to choose to die to control. Maybe you know the Lord is your savior, but you're still trying to control way too much of your life. You need to trust him. And you need to turn to him authentically, not necessarily feelings driven, but faith driven on the reality of what you know over and over and over again, Paul says that to be true. God's character stands, his promises are true. Christ's sacrifice was once and for all, it says right here, that he will never have to die again. Verse 10, the life he lives, he lives to God. He died to sin once for all. Praise God, amen. We 
you trust that? Will you put your faith in it in whatever external circumstance of your life you're anchoring in right now? Maybe you need to choose to get more in your Bible. Maybe you need to choose to begin to give generously as a reflection of what God has given to you. Maybe you need to open your home, get in a small, I don't know what it is, but what's your next step? Because it truly, only when we get to the end of ourselves do we truly realize that we can't save ourselves, can we? We can't, only Jesus can. So would you look to him today? There's a story this week that broke my heart and encouraged my heart at the same time. Many of you are probably familiar with it. If you watch any type of football turn on any type of news, you probably heard about or saw what happened on Monday night where the Bills were playing the Bengals and late in the first quarter, there was a normal football play. The receiver hit a defender in the chest. The defender made the tackle. His name was DeMar Hamlin. He got up for a second and then he went back down and he passed out. More than that, his heart stopped. His pulse stopped. He was lying on the field in cardiac arrest. The trainers rushed out and praised God for the giftedness of those trainers. For multiple minutes, they performed CPR. They used an AED. Thank you for all of you who are in the medical profession, the trainers, doctors, emerge. thank you for what you do. I know the results aren't always like this either. But what happened then was remarkable. You had muscular men broken in tears because they were helpless. You had fans that walked into a stadium in different jerseys, cheering for different teams, probably saying who knows what. All of a sudden, uniting together in tears as one. And more than uniting in tears, you know what they were uniting in? Prayer. The Buffalo Bills coach, Sean McDermott, a believer, led his team in prayer. You'll see a picture of them kneeling there, right there. Men of every race, creed, background, religious, non-religious, said, at the end of myself, I need to die to the reality. I can't save my teammate. God, only you can. I don't know what to do. And in this moment, I'm going to turn to you, the author, the giver, the perfecter of life. More than that, every single NFL team, 32 of them, secular organizations, profit-pursuing organizations, the NFL itself changed their social media logo to, to what? What's the first word right there? Pray. There have been Supreme Court cases about why coaches can't pray on the field. Now, all of a sudden, the entire country is uniting in what? Prayer. There was a game last night and both teams knelt at the middle of the field, the chaplains leading all of these men in prayer. Why? Because they got to the end of themselves realizing the reality that life outside of God is not truly possible in the way that God want, designed us to have it. That we can see our fallenness and our brokenness and we need to get to the reality that we can't save ourselves or others, but you know who can? God. We need to die to no matter if I have six, seven, or eight figures in my bank account, and those players do and did, I can't buy salvation. Praise God. I know it doesn't always work out like this. That tomorrow is now breathing. But where today do you need to die? To control? pursuits of the world so that you can truly begin to live. What's your starting point today? 
because as we remember the reality of Christ's power, we see him impacting our lives significantly. Would you pull out, we're gonna have communion right now because there's power of remembering Christ and reflecting on that reality. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what external things are happening in your life, but I know the starting point in your life is Jesus. And maybe you have a relationship with him, maybe you don't. But we need to begin to address whatever situations we are in through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ and turn to the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before us endured the cross, scorning at shame, and will provide us help in our time. He will give us grace and mercy in our time of need. Hebrews 4 came alive this week for an entire country. We can approach the throne room of God with confidence. You had ESPN anchors praying on air. It's amazing what God is doing. Because even in the greatest of tragedies and even in our everyday realities, God is at work. He's working, amen. He's working for his glory. We see that in text that we were raised for the glory of God. So communion remembers the finished work, the justification of God by God through Jesus. In in the upper room, Jesus took a piece of bread with the disciples and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, eat this in remembrance of me. Part of spiritual maturity is becoming faster and faster to confess when we fall short. So we're going to eat this in a split second, but I want you to know this, that Harvest practices open communion. What that means is that you don't have to be a member of the Harvest, our church, for you to take communion here. If you are a believer, we would love for you to participate in communion. If you have never put your faith first, fully in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, number one, I would ask you, beg you, implore you to do that right now. And number two, if you're still wrestling with that, you're still welcome here. We're so glad you're here, but I would ask that you gener- graciously refrain from taking of communion. Would you go ahead and bow your heads right now with me? Confession, repentance. None of us have arrived. Confession should be a part of our daily reality. Where in your hearts do you need to confess sin to the Lord right now? Where have you fallen short? Where have you not chosen to die that right now you need to choose to die? First John chapter one says that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he will forgive us of all sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So in these next few moments before we take the bread, would you confess to the Lord any areas of sin in your life and allow his grace, which abounds all the more, as we saw in Romans 5, to cover your sins right now. Father, we thank you in the reality that you gave your son for us. And Jesus, we thank you that you gave your body for us, that you literally died. Forgive us for all the times that we fall short, God, and thank you for your grace, which is abounding even when our sin, our our sin is still present. God, we need you and we can never outrun our need for your grace but we can also never sin so much that we can outrun the power of grace. In the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, passed around and said, this is my body broken for me. Eat this in remembrance of me. Would you eat your bread now in remembrance of Jesus? 
the night he was betrayed, Jesus also took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Jesus spilled his blood. He worked, he toiled, he did everything he could. He paid your penalty and mine for you. Where do you need to commit your life right now to living for Jesus? To living the resurrected life. Maybe there's a commitment, a next step that you want to give to the Lord right now. God, in this next day, in this next week, in this next month, in this next year, I commit through the power of God, we can't do it on our own, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us to take this next step towards you. Would you bow your heads and sort of make that commitment? Ask towards the Lord right now a commitment to live the resurrected life the way that God intended. Father, there is hope in the name of Jesus. There is grace in the name of Jesus. There is freedom in the name of Jesus. Father, I just pray right now in this moment that when we look at and remember the blood of Jesus that was poured out completely, not wasting any drops, not holding anything back, the death that we identify with today, Jesus gave his all for you and may we give our all for you too. For others in their mess, Jesus gave his all. For others who rejected him, Jesus gave his all. And when we think about the world, our neighbors next to us and the world around us, help us through your strength to give our all, to commit to living out the gospel and embracing the gospel so that they can be saved by the gospel and we can grow in the gospel. Father, we're so thankful for who you are. In your name we pray, amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took his, this cup and this, he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Would you drink this cup right now? Father, we're so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for your grace and your mercy and your goodness in our life. And Father, right now, as we remember you, may we live sent for you. God, this is a starting point. This is the new life, the resurrected life that you have purchased for us through the sacrifice of your son. Father, help us to choose to identify with you fully and completely. Forgive us for those times that we don't identify with you for whatever reason. We deem the cost too high, the price too great. We don't value you enough. Father, forgive us for that and restore and renew our hearts to live a life that is committed to you. Thank you for the opportunity to live a resurrected life. And may we embrace that now and forevermore. In your name we pray, amen.